we're blessed today to have a guest preacher with us. Uh, Pastor uh, Michael Widom is with us today. He is the campus minister for Reformed University Fellowship on the campus of Harvard University. Uh, he has been there for just about three years, finishing up his third year of ministry at Harvard, uh, and uh, was also with us this morning for our Sunday School. If you weren't able to join us for Sunday School today, I would encourage you to check our website for when the recording of that session will be uploaded. There are some wonderful, encouraging things that the Lord is doing on the campus of Harvard University and using Michael Widom, uh, as well as others who work alongside him, uh, to raise up a witness for the gospel there at Harvard. Uh, but uh, we as a, a church have been supporting the Harvard RUF ministry for uh, a long time, as long as I've been here, so it predates me, it predates Michael. Uh, he is uh, the next man that the Lord has raised up uh, for a faithful witness there at Harvard University, and we're glad to have Michael with us. Michael, please come uh, and open God's word for us today. Well, uh, good morning again. Thank you for having me with you. I look forward uh, to opening uh, God's word together this morning. Uh, if you would uh, turn in your rack Bible uh, to page 944, we'll be looking at Romans chapter 8, uh, specifically verses uh, 26 and 27. I'll give you just a moment to find your place. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Lord, we come to you this morning expectant that you would speak to us through your word that we would encounter on these living pages the living and active word of God, that we would know the Lord who is reigning in heaven, the Son sitting at your right hand, the Spirit sent to us as a helper. Father, would you teach us this morning? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I'll begin this morning uh, reminding you of something that I know that you already know about the English language, uh, which is when you read a, especially a common word like help, the leading word in our passage, there are many synonyms that you might attach to that particular word. It's true in the English language as much as it's true in the Greek, there are many different words used for the word help, that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. But this particular word here in Romans 8 uh, is used only two times. Paul uses it here, 
uh, and the second time is used uh, in the book of Luke. When Jesus is in the home of Mary and Martha, if you've read through the book of Luke, you likely know this story. Jesus is teaching, Mary is sitting and listening to him, and Martha is in the kitchen doing all of the work. You can kind of have in your mind uh, an old, uh, right, like pre-colonial kitchen. My daughter right now is very into Paul Revere. We toured his house recently. An old kitchen like that, you have to keep the fire going. The work has to be done by hand. It's very labor-intensive. And Martha is in the kitchen, and Mary isn't helping her. And Martha goes to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that she has left all the work for me? Tell her to help me. That doesn't tell you everything you need to know about this verb, but I think it gives us a picture or an insight. That that Paul here is not saying that we need help in some type of abstract sense. This is an I'm doing real life in real need and I'm in search of tangible, practical help. Paul points to a type of exasperation where you realize if someone or something doesn't step in, it will not happen. I don't want to assume too much about your life. We've only just met. But it's possible that you've come in this morning in a place where you are weak or run down or tired or sad or afraid or alone or in need of help. And what we recognize as God's people is we do not need a pep talk or an inspirational message or a distraction. We need the presence of the Lord himself. That we need God's word and his spirit impressed upon our hearts and our lives as a help. We'll look at at this passage in detail, but I want us to circle back around to the beginning of verse 26 just momentarily where Paul says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And I want to highlight Paul's assumption of human weakness as a backdrop to this passage. He doesn't point the finger to the Romans, to this church where he has not been, and says, the Lord helps you in your weakness, O you poor church. No, it's first person plural. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. If you've come into worship this morning in need of help from the Lord, you are in good company. You are in no way alone. If you're taking notes or following along this morning, I want to consider this passage from two angles. First, those who need help and looking at the one who helps. So first, those who need help. If we take a moment uh, to talk about the areas where we uh, are especially weak or we need help, we could consider a number of directions. Some of us are very aware that we need help physically this morning. We have sicknesses and illnesses that plague us. We prayed for many of them just moments ago. 
Our bodies break down and decay. They don't work how they should. Some of us come in this morning feeling emotionally weak. We remember a time where we felt stable or in control of our emotions. And now it's hard to take them uh, into grasp. We recognize that we need help. Some of us come in this morning relationally weak. We had our people and our places. And through various circumstances, we are looking down the barrel of broken relationships and disappointments left behind. All of our human weakness and limitation is captured in this passage, but Paul narrows in on one particular type of weakness that we often feel in the Christian life. Verse 26, Paul says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. This way he is talking about being weak is not knowing the way in which we should pray. If you are a Christian, if you are one who has placed their faith in Jesus, it is right and good that we would uh, default towards prayer. It is one of the many Christian disciplines that the church has carried for generations, knowing that it is our right and our privilege to go to the Lord in prayer. But as we do so, in various circumstances, we realize when we go to the Lord, we don't know what to ask as we ought. We certainly know that that the Lord himself has encouraged us to to pray, has given us a model for prayer. Yet when we consider the circumstances around us, we quickly realize our limitations. I think there are at least two reasons uh, that we often don't know how to pray as we ought. One, we don't always know what God is doing. I don't need to tell you that we've lived through a pretty intense few years. Maybe you would reflect back and say you've lived a pretty intense life. It is right and good for us to want to make sense of these things, to pray for these things. Yet I think we need to be careful if we want to say, well, I think this is exactly what God was doing through that event or through this tragedy. God's work in the world extends far beyond our understanding. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts, not our thoughts. You felt this limitation if you tried to muddle through prayer for the circumstances of these last few years. Knowing that you ought to pray, knowing that unless you've brought your prayers to the Lord, you haven't spoken to one who can help, yet feeling the the limit of not knowing all that God is doing in the world. Our other limitation is we don't always know what's happening in the world around us. Oftentimes, situations we pray for are about circumstances of people and events in our lives. We might be praying about a coworker who makes our workday unbearable or a friend who can't seem to get out of their own way. And we pray for these things, and we often don't know the whole story or have a clear picture of what's going on. And though we pray faithfully, though we pray for the circumstances so far as we know them, we don't always know in totality 
how we should pray. Let's think for a moment about the context of the believers reading this letter. Paul wrote to the Romans likely in 57 AD, which means they're reading this letter under the persecution of Nero in Rome, who we know is a monster who persecuted Christians. And so these Christians reading this letter are watching their children, their fathers, their friends, burned at the stake, tortured at the Colosseum. How do we faithfully pray for this? How did they pray for this? Did they pray, Lord, take away this persecution so that my loved ones don't die at the hands of evil? Or do you pray, Lord, use this persecution to spread the gospel and build your kingdom? How do you begin to pray, Lord, stop it or don't stop it? We should, be, we should pray with confidence, but we can see our limitations. Let's think about this room and the things that we pray for. You've likely had an experience sitting with someone who, is, who you love who's very sick. And you've felt that tension not knowing what to ask to the Lord. Lord, take away the things that are hurting them, relieve their suffering. Or Lord, use this sickness for their good and for the good of those around them. What about if you're thinking towards your career and thinking about things like success and making a profit? Do you pray for your career that it would go well so that you would succeed and make money? Maybe you pray uh, that you would do so so that you could be generous and further the work of the Lord. And yet you say to yourself, well, the Bible says the heart is sneaky and deceptive. Maybe I'm deceiving myself right now. What if I really want just a better lifestyle? I'm trying to spiritualize it. We don't know how to pray in our weakness. We are needy people with human limitations that cannot be overcome by harder work or better spiritual preparation. We are people in need of help from the Lord himself. And what I, what I want to drive you towards in this moment is fe a feeling of thankfulness for your limitation and the love of the Spirit meeting you in this place. That the Lord meets and helps those who are weak. God helps those who don't know what to say or what to pray. So let's consider in the remainder of our time the one who helps. Romans 8 makes several references to the Spirit. This third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the one given to believers as a helper. The Spirit is the one who knows us, the one who occupies those who have their faith in Jesus and knows our inner self. In verse 9 of chapter 8, Paul says, the Spirit of God dwells within you. If you are a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, the one who knows your inner frame. I want us to consider this for just a moment and consider why this is such uh, an important reality for us to grasp. I wonder if you've ever tried to get something uh, important out to a dear friend, someone who really loves you. 
maybe a real success, that you have struggled through grad schools or internships or interviews and you landed a position that you were really excited about. Or maybe trying to communicate a real sadness that you were committed for many years to a relationship that you thought would work out. You gave your whole heart and your whole self and you find yourself now crushed and alone. And even this dear friend, someone who loves you, cannot fully grasp what you are trying to communicate. Have you ever felt this? Something deeply personal that you need someone to understand, someone to be in it with you. Even someone who totally loves you, who is trying to listen, can't totally get you. They're dependent on your ability to articulate, your ability to understand every angle of the situation, to understand fully the experience that you just had. And yet our passage says the Holy Spirit knows you more deeply than you know yourself. The Spirit of God who dwells within you knows your weakness in in an intimate and personal way. He has a better handle on you, your motivation, your thoughts, your values, than you do for yourself. And so the Holy Spirit knows you, and the Holy Spirit knows the will of God. Verse 27, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit, we know, is fully God. He knows you and he knows the will of the Father because he is God. And what does he do with that? Because he knows us and knows the will of the Father, he knows how to pray. You and I, in our weakness, in our limitation, don't always know how to pray. But the Spirit of God himself, who lives inside us, knows how to bring our needs to the Father on our behalf. We call this intercession, a go-between for two parties. That he takes our needs to the Father. But how does he do it? How does he pray for us? The scripture says he groans. If you've read Romans 8 before, this word should, should be ringing bells. Earlier, Paul says the whole creation groans because of its brokenness. Not just creation, but we groan in our own brokenness and sin. When we take a look at our life, At the brokenness around us, we feel the weight of it and we groan. Let me ask, when does someone groan? Why would they groan? We do so when we're emotionally invested. Not a sigh, not a grunt. You groan when you get bad news about someone you really care about. You groan when you lose out on something you wanted so bad. You groan when you give everything to everyone, to someone, and a relationship fails. You groan when you are invested in another person. And look at our text. Here, Paul is no longer saying it's the creation that groans, the people that groans, but the spirit groans 
to the Father for you. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This phrase that we translate too deep for words is really just one word that means wordless. The Spirit himself is so invested in you that he groans to the Father speechless. We can pray with confidence even not knowing what to ask or if we're asking the right way, knowing that the Spirit himself groans to the Father on our behalf, knowing us and knowing God's will. So you've been praying for this person or that to come to faith, seeing no movement. You can pray with confidence, knowing that the Spirit himself intercedes on your behalf. You've been praying for years for sin that seems besetting, that cannot, that, that, where the cycle cannot be broken. You can pray with confidence, knowing that the Spirit himself hears you, bringing it to the Father. He groans for us. I want to consider now as we're kind of progressing through this line of reasoning why it's a beautiful thing, how it helps us to know that God would groan for us without words. Uh, if you'll uh, indulge me a personal story in front of people that I've only just met, um, recognizing that uh, a room this size, there, there's likely others who have experienced loss, and I want to be sensitive to that, but I think that this illustrates this work of the Spirit on our behalf. Uh, before uh, Anna and I had our two girls, Eleanor and Francis, who are five and seven, um, she was pregnant and we had a son named Arthur. And when she was about 21 weeks pregnant, um, she was visiting a, an old college roommate in New York City. We were living in Charlotte at the time. And a few days into that visit, I got a call late at night that she was riding the subway I thought maybe she had sat in a puddle of water, which is probably the most likely conclusion you can draw on a New York subway. Um, but she realized um, that her water had broken many, many weeks early. And I'm 24. That's our first pregnancy. I don't know anything about anything. I'm not in touch with my emotions. I'm not in touch with myself. I'm not really even sure what to do but I know I need to find a way to get there, to be there with her for what ended up to be months and months of, of struggle and of hospital visits and ultimately hard things like loss. But I knew I needed to be there and immediately I called my friend John. And I called him because he is a consultant working with a client in New York City and I knew that he was gonna know how to get me where I needed to be. And it wasn't two hours later that John is at my front door with a plane ticket and a cup of coffee telling me to get in his car. And so, so John knows things that I don't know. But another reality in that situation is John, John's wife, Sarah, is a neonatal nurse who works in the NICU of a hospital in Charlotte. And so he also knows exactly what I'm headed into. And it wasn't 
you know, few minutes into this 15 minute ride to the airport that I look over with John, I look over to John and I see him red faced, gasping for breath, groaning and crying at realities that he knows about me that I don't know about myself. Feeling for me in ways that I don't know how to feel. And his entering into and helping in my suffering was no words. And it was humbling. Because it's, it is deeply humbling to have someone enter into your pain and sit in it with you. And it was endearing. I've never wondered from that moment whether or not John cares for me. Could we not apply the same reality to the Spirit? That God didn't have to enter into our weakness. He didn't have to notice or care about our pain. But he does because he is love. And love isn't something that he does occasionally. It is who he is. And through through the incarnation of the Son, through the presence of the Spirit, he has entered in. And it is humbling if we hear it, that he groans about your disappointments, your loss, your loneliness. Are there not bigger concerns in the universe than your loneliness? Sure, but he groans for you. And it's endearing. We don't just love him and worship him because he is big and powerful and almighty, we do because of those things, but we love and worship him because he's loved us. And his love for us, his entering into our weakness, means that we don't have to wonder. This is a God who does not resent our weakness, but holds us there. He loves us so much that he would become himself a person who is weak, a substitute for the weak, so that one day we would dwell with him in the new heavens and the new earth for eternity. This, of course, is an invitation to walk with Jesus. That if you have not trusted Jesus for your salvation, this is an invitation to faith. And this is an an invitation to prayer, believing that the biggest, most overwhelming needs that you have Jesus cares about and by the Spirit enters into your need. That he is a God who helps. So this is an invitation to prayer, believing that all that you need, all that you will ever need, has been met for you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I I do ask that um, we would be people confident in our Savior. Knowing that you are the one who has entered into our world. Who lived and died that we might be called children of God. And as we walk through the Christian life, You have not led us alone 
as your children, but you have given the Spirit as a help. So I pray whatever circumstances we face this morning, we would do so with confidence, knowing you are the God who helps us in our weakness. You do not expect us to be God, but you offer us the Spirit as a companion, as a helper. I pray that we would throw ourselves at the foot of the cross, walking with Jesus through all of life's circumstances. I pray in, in Christ's name. Amen.